You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I believe the Lord wants to burn up discouragement this morning. Discouragement and fear. I just feel like the Lord wants to deal with this morning in his presence. He is the answer. You won't find answers that really deal with the issues of discouragement and fear on your Twitter account or on on the Google machine. You'll find the answers in the person of Jesus. And we see that here in Judges 6. As Jesus himself appears, the Son of God appears to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Let's just pray before we receive God's word. If you have your Bible, you can hold it in your hand. Place your, heart, your hand on your heart. Lord, we want to receive from you. We want to see, receive fresh revelation of what you are like. Not new revelation, fresh. That it would be made fresh to our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts. The eyes of our hearts. Open our spiritual ears to hear from you, Spirit of God. I pray that upon every one of us. In your mighty name, amen. Yeah, this is, this is a word that's been on my heart for a little while, and I want to I feel like just the release to, to share this with you this morning. Um, Judges chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 7. This is a kind of a time in Israel's history where they're beginning to descend into uh, a time of a lot of evil, a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion and therefore a lot of discouragement and a lot of fear. Uh, They're being oppressed by a neighboring nation, the the Midianites, and um, so they're living under that for seven or so years, and then we are plopped into the story of Gideon. Here, verse seven, we'll start. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Here they are discouraged, they're in fear, and they begin to cry out to the Lord, and the Lord meets them. What is is the Lord's answer? Is it immediate deliverance? No, the Lord's answer is a revelation of himself. What does he bring? He brings a prophet, a nameless prophet. We don't even get the name of this prophet, but the Lord answers the cry of his people. This is a very similar uh, description of the situation for the Israelites when they were in captivity in Egypt. They cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cry. Did he immediately deliver them? No, he did not. He sent a prophet by the name of Moses. And so here we see it repeated again. They cry out in their oppression. They cry out in their discouragement and their fear. They're sick of being uh, oppressed heavily by the Midianites. I mean, the Midianites were merciless. They they would take their crops and leave leave the Israelites to starve. They would force them to do things for them in terms of slave labor and and then leave them nothing to even sustain themselves in terms of food and sustenance. So the Midianites were merciless oppressors and they cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard their cry. And the Lord's answer though was to to reveal himself to their hearts because that's the Lord's biggest aim in this life, in all of eternity is for us, for him to have our hearts, for him to reveal himself to our hearts, what he is like. It's not just immediate deliverance. It is about the breakthrough, but it's about leading us to a breakthrough with our hearts in a place where we're 
where our hearts are affectionate for him. We'll keep reading there in verse eight. And he said to them, this prophet, thus, th- thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. We fall prey to fear and to discouragement when we give our attention to other things. The prophets, the first words out of this prophet's mouth were reminding of Israel of who they were in the Lord, of their, the testimony that they carry as the house of Israel. This is where you've been. This is who you are as a set-apart people, as, as God's people. God has set you free from Egyptian slavery and set you in a promised land. But over time, as is the case for, for us many times in our lives, their eyes turned away from the Lord towards other things. And we fall prey to fear, we fall prey to discouragement because we give our attention to things other than Jesus. I want to just like tenderly, like a father, remind us that we're responsible for the testimony of Jesus that's been given to us. We, all, we have all been given a story in the Lord, some sort of inheritance or heritage in the Lord, and we're responsible to steward that. And here Israel was being held account, accountable for that as well. To whom much is given, much is required. They had been called to steward a story in the Lord, of the Lord mightily, miraculously, wondrously rescuing them from, from slavery in Egypt. But slowly over time, this testimony grew old. This testimony kind of got set aside into the category of, of lore, you know, of just stories that are told by, by the gray-haired people in our community or something. And they, those, those testimonies were not afresh in, the, in their hearts, inspiring them to turn their eyes to the Lord with full faith and full love. So may his story never get old to us. May the story of his nail-pierced hands, of his his back that was beaten on our behalf, of his resurrection power that was made on display for all of humanity, may that never get old. May we never be overly familiar with the powerful story that we've been grafted into. That's my prayer for us, is that it would never get old. It's much of why we spend so much time worshiping is because our hearts need to be tenderized in his presence. They need to be softened again with the fact that God has wooed our hearts. He's won our hearts. He's miraculously saved us. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. He's rescued me from slavery. He's rescued me from the ash heap and he's placed me with princes. May that story never get old, amen? May it never get old. But that's what happened here to Israel. And Gideon is, is, um, is getting this revelation from this prophet. The story had gotten old. Verse 10, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell because of the heritage that they have. They were meant to be a powerful, favored people not ones cowering in fear, oppressed by a foreign uh, oppressor. 
They don't need to fear the gods of these, of these foreign lands. They should know this. They should know better. They've conquered those, those lands already. They've been there. But verse, at the end of verse 10, but you have not obeyed my voice. The prophet cuts to the heart like children disobeying the voice of their father. They are being held responsible right now. This prophet is God's mercy on Israel. They're being held responsible for what God has spoken to them. They find, they find themselves right now bound by fear, oppressed by an enemy that God is greater than. And God, in his mercy, is opening their eyes to the fact that they have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. They have been walking and wandering into this season of clear disobedience to the voice of the Lord. The prophet says, you find yourself in this mess, this mess oppressed by the Midianites, and here's what happened. You disobeyed my voice. So you can think of it like like a toddler being instructed by his his father, his or her father, to, to not, you know, play with the, the outlet or not play with the burner. What does a toddler do? Like a toddler, just for some reason, they get in the zone, they, they drown out the voice of their parent and they are headed towards their demise, right? Towards some sort of pain that they will incur for clear disobedience. It really is that clear and the, Lord, and the prophet is, is telling Israel that very thing. You have a disobeyed my voice. And now they find themselves bound in, bound in fear, oppressed, in pain, suffering. Yesterday, I disobeyed the voice of my, my neighbor. He brought over a whole pile of jalapenos and habaneros, and he pointed to these habaneros, and he said, Drew, these ones are really hot. I wouldn't even eat these. I don't know why he gave them to us, because he's just tempting me. And I still took a bite of one of the habaneros and my mouth is burning for like the next two hours, just guzzling milk. And we found out those habaneros are 33 times more uh, hot than the jalapenos. And so I paid the price for clear disobedience. You've disobeyed my voice. It really is that simple. And we love to make things more complicated. We love to make things more peculiar to our situation, but... The prophet cuts to the heart. You've disobeyed my voice. In verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, or like an oak tree, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from Midianites. Now, I want us to take a moment before we, before we move on to just think about this, this encounter with, with Gideon. Gideon is this young man obviously appointed to rule and have influence in Israel, and the Lord meets him. But here Gideon is not in exactly like, like a leader-worthy position. He is beating out wheat in the wine press, meaning like he's trying to hide from the oppressors and the enemies in this wine press to beat out a meager existence, a me- meager amount of wheat. If he's beating in the wine press, it means it's not very much. And it means he's trying to do it in hiding because if the Midianites hear that he's beating out the, the, the wheat, they'll come and they'll take it for themselves. I mean, they're just gonna take their lunch money again. That's what they're gonna do. And so he's there hiding in the wine press, beating out a little bit of a meager sustenance for his family or for his tribe. And the Lord meets him there. So even in his fear, even in his oppression, the Lord is so 
merciful, even in the midst of our discouragement. But here's the picture of what we know as right now as the angel of the Lord. Just spoiler alert, it's Jesus, it's the son of God himself. But here the angel of the Lord appears relaxing under a tree. So the contrast is, I think, beautiful. It's like God is not stressed out. He's relaxing under an oak tree, like chilling. Just relaxing, ready to meet Gideon, who's living minute by minute, day by day, trying to survive, far from any sort of revelation of the favor that's on his life. So the Son of God is relaxing under a tree. Gideon is fearfully treading out uh, an existence. It reminds me of like Jesus sleeping through the storm with his disciples. There is this alternate perspective, alternate reality, a heavenly reality, the places that we're seated with Christ in. And the Son of God lives there. It's like the Son of God sleeping through the storm while the disciples are freaking out. Even though they'd seen God do amazing things, they'd seen Jesus save them time and time again and provide for them, but they're freaking out. What's, what's Jesus' response? Jesus is sleeping through the storm. The Lord brings deliverance, not in a state of panic. The Lord is not freaking out by our experiences, by our circumstances. Instead, he comes in perfect peace. He knows how to pay that bill. He knows how to write that child that's maybe wandered away. He knows how to deliver us from the, the mental anguish that we face on a daily basis, the Lord is delivering. He brings the message of deliverance in perfect peace. Here the Son of God appears sitting under a tree in perfect peace to bring the message of deliverance to Israel. And this is, this is gonna be a turning point for Israel for a period of, of years at least. In a thousand years, he'll appear hanging on a tree in perfect peace to open up the door for deliverance for all people. There's something about the Lord in, in these trees. He's, he delivers his plan for deliverance and his perfect peace. I also want to say that Jesus loves to meet people in ordinary places. He meets the humble and the contrite. He doesn't come to the, those that are perfectly put together, doesn't always meet the powerful, but rather the humble and the contrite ones. And he meets them oftentimes in very ordinary places, the places that we discount. The Lord loves to come to places like Nazareth. For Moses, you know, the wilderness in Midian. I wanna say the Lord loves to come to places like Ames. Those ordinary places what others would call flyover country. What others would say is just, it's just too ordinary. The Lord loves to visit us. He loves to meet us in ordinary places. So all oh, that our attention would be such that even in our ordinariness, we would, we would see and recognize what the Lord is doing. Let's keep reading, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I mean, it causes us to almost chuckle when we read that. 
You heard me just describe what Gideon was doing. He was living in absolute fear just to maybe have a loaf of bread to eat that day, to not get beat up again by the Midianites, doing something that didn't make sense to, to beat the wheat in the, in the wine press, living in complete fear, beat up and oppressed, but yet the angel of the Lord, the son of God, when he addresses him, he calls him a mighty man of valor. It's very, I mean, this is a pattern of the Lord and I pray that our ears are perked up to hear what the Lord speaks over us. But this is a pattern that the Lord carries out in his interactions with humanity, with humble people. He, he speaks over impetuous Simon. He calls him Peter the Rock. It's not what other people saw. It's not necessarily what the narrative tells us, but the Lord speaks something different over him. Over Jacob, the, the, the deceiver, the Lord says, no, you are Israel. You are gonna be my namesake of, of my people. The Lord sees what you don't, and he sees what your story doesn't tell. He has a different story, a different identity over your life than what you have known so far. So I don't care where you've been, where you've come from, who you think you are, who people say that you are, the Lord has a different word. What does God say about you? What does he say you are? Who does he say you are? And please hear me, I'm not saying, who do you want him to say that you are? No, this is, this is not something that you'll hear in the world. I'm saying, what does the Lord say about who you are? The world, our experiences, they speak something over our life. And most likely, those things are not what God says about us. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you need to spend a lot of time asking the Lord what he says or what he thinks about you. But we should have these, these hearts like a child where our ears are open and our hearts are receptive to hear a different word, to receive from him what he speaks over us and our identity. Gideon wasn't necessarily asking for it, but the Lord met him even in his discouragement, even in his oppression, and spoke a different word. The Lord will speak with a level of endearing purpose and delight and specific identity as you seek him, as you seek him for who he is. You seek him with a, with a humble heart, a wholeheartedness, a devotion. He'll reveal to you who he's called you to be. And for Gideon, he called him a mighty man of valor. He was like foreseeing, speaking into prophetically where this story was gonna be headed. This is who you are, Gideon. And we don't know if Gideon laughed, what happened to, to, to Gideon in terms of his response in the moment, but let's keep reading verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, or Lord, or master, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And why are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us in to the hand of Midian. Gideon's response here is, is honestly the response that I hear more often than not from people regarding the Lord's promises in our day. Many people are familiar enough with scripture 
in the miraculous stories that are told and that are, are held within this beautiful book. But as I do life with people, as I meet with people, there is this kind of cynicism that tries to paralyze us with fear and, and tempt us to just maintain the status quo, to cling to what has become normal. Like, well, th- that was in days past. Well, I think those days, they, they died out with the apostles, right? Or, or after scripture was closed, like the canon of scripture was closed, then, then those things stopped, right? We don't, we don't see those things these, these days. That was the response of Gideon. Oh yeah, those, those, that's what happened. Uh, you know, those, those the, father, the stories our fathers recounted, but those things don't happen anymore, oh kind man. There's this cynicism that dismisses these stories as relics of the past or lore from history. They're great in history, but they're not present realities. And this is spread through the church over the centuries in the form of cessationism or, or forms of Calvinism that say, you know, miracles are not for today. That they stopped at the time of the apostles or the closing of the canon. But I have to ask, what is our standard? Is it going to be our personal experiences? Is it going to be you know, our, the current status of things? Or is the standard going to be the revelation that God has entrusted to us? Is it what we've seen with our eyes or is it the standard that God has revealed to us? What's the standard? Have we forgotten that his word tells us that we would do the works that Jesus did and in fact we would do greater works than he did in his name? Have we forgotten that Jesus commissioned us to go and proclaim the kingdom of God is near and then also demonstrate that to the world around us? Have we forgotten that his nail-pierced hands and his stripe-beaten back were carried out for our healing and as a display of, of his love for the world? What will the standard be for us? The Son of God here, the angel of the Lord, doesn't let him off in just staying in that place of mediocrity and the status quo. So in verse 14, let's read what it says. It says, and the Lord turned to him and said, so it's revealed to us now that this is the Son of God. And the Lord, all caps, meaning Yahweh himself, the Son of God, it's revealed. The angel of the Lord It's not just some heavenly being, it's actually the heavenly being himself, the Son of God, appearing to Gideon, the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Oh, that the Lord would turn towards us. The Lord turned towards Gideon. You can picture it like a person leaning in in a conversation. Like all of a sudden, the intensity of the conversation got ramped up. The Lord was not going to let Gideon stay in this place of excuse making and apathy, but the Lord leaned into Gideon and said, I am with you. It changes everything. He turned his face towards him. 
And that's the Lord's mercy so that we would see him rightly. So my prayer is, oh Lord, would you turn towards us? And this, this little old church family in Ames, Iowa, Lord, would you turn your face towards us? Would you convince us of our destiny in you and our purposes in you? Like, Lord, stir our hearts out of apathy and excuse-making. This is like, you can picture this like a friend or a parent in the midst of maybe an important conversation leaning in to get your attention, to make sure that we're locking eyes, so that we're, that, to make sure that you're hearing correctly. It's the Lord himself that's going with them. That's why you can have confidence. And that's what changes everything. So the son of God is not delivering Gideon out of oppression and, dis- and discouragement with self-confidence. No, he's delivering him out of fear and discouragement with God confidence. I am with you. And don't you understand that changes everything. It's a living revelation of the present living power of God in and amongst us that is the game changer on the earth. God with us. It changes everything. And I believe the revelation's beginning to click for Gideon. Let's keep reading just a couple more verses. I'm going to invite um, Pastor Tony just to come to the keys. And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon is human like you and I. So what I'm proposing this morning is not so much just a one-off revelation of who God is and what that means for your life and what that means for your, the situations or the crises you're, you're facing. But it's a continuous, ever-flowing revelation of his present reality that just chips away layer by layer chips away the excuses that we make. Gideon didn't see himself as a vessel that the Lord could use. He didn't see Israel as anything all that special. He saw the other kingdoms, Midianites and the Amorites and all these neighboring nations as stronger than they. Even within Israel, he saw himself from a clan, a lesser clan, And so layer by layer, this revelation of the sufficiency of God himself had to chip away at all of his excuses. Until finally the Lord got to his heart. The story actually continues, kind of the back and forth, which I'm gonna say, I love the honesty of scripture. Scripture doesn't just give us heroes in finished form and actually ever like in this perfected form. Scripture gives us the raw, like real testimony of God working in and amongst broken people. 
And I thank God for that testimony because I know that's my testimony. The Lord, time and time again, speaking to my heart, eliminating excuses, eliminating excuses for apathy and mediocrity. Jesus is the answer for your discouragement and fear. He alone is the answer. You won't find any answers that ever satisfy or ever really deliver you into something of substance beyond the person of Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.